0: Hi, I'm Felicity, and today I'm going to be reading Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, Felicity, thank you for reading that scripture passage. This morning, we come to our sixth and final sermon in the Lord's Prayer. For my part, I'd say that while ordinarily life during the COVID-19 lockdown has gone quite slowly, I think our series through the Lord's Prayer, at least from my perspective, has gone rather quickly. Next week, though, um, I'm going to press ahead and we're going to go back to the book of Acts. We in the fall and in the winter, we were in the book of Acts, and we're going to pick up right where we left off in chapter 8 next week. But before we dive into this week's sermon, I just want to give a few quick updates. First, last week we had some technical difficulties getting the outreach video um, from our outreach partners Stacy and Caleb, uh, who serve in Honduras. That's going to hopefully show up at the end of this week's video Um, The second update is that this is an exciting weekend. Uh, Yes, because it's Memorial Day and we get to remember some very important things and, and also get a day off of work on Monday. But that's not the reason I say it's exciting. It's exciting because David and Jamie McHale moved to Harrisburg. And we've been waiting for that for a few months. I know they have been waiting for a few months. Uh, David is our new Connections pastor. He's got a a week or so to rest and get moved in, Uh, but he'll begin work on June 1st, which I know excites me greatly, and I think him as well. Finally, please be praying for our church as we develop plans about reopening, Um, Our leadership team has been meeting every Wednesday night, and and this has occupied a huge portion of our meeting times. Uh, Our hope next week is to uh, meet again on Wednesday night and really finalize plans about reopening. When we'll put those plans into effect has been um, it's been this moving target, but it feels, I will say, moving much closer just even in the last few days. And so we hope to finalize that on Wednesday, hopefully even email it out on Thursday. So please be praying for us um, as we finalize that. As we turn our attention to our scripture passage this morning, I want to reread verse 13, the final line in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Read it again now goes like this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As we pray that line, um, as with the two previous lines about daily bread and forgiveness, we're confronted with our dependence. The Lord's Prayer teaches us many things, but especially that we are more sinful and fragile than we realize. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where you were reminded, perhaps even surprised by how fragile you are, surprised by your own weakness. Is there a time that your confidence in surprising ways was shaken? Perhaps a time when you realized, okay, not we got this, but we do not have this. Over the years of competing in athletics, this is a feeling that's hit me many times in the past. In fact, it still does. A few weeks ago, I went out on a run with uh, two other pastor elders at our church, and I knew it was going to be a difficult run. We were going to run up the side of Blue Mountain Ridge all the way to the top where the TV towers are, uh, TV and radio towers are, and... Um, I'd done it before and I knew it was hard and I knew it'd be hard again, but there was the first kind of five to eight minutes when one particular elder who I will not name took out exceedingly hard. Um, I thought to myself, this is going to be a very painful 25 minutes to the top. Thankfully for my sake and the other elder who was getting pulled along, uh, the particular elder who started so fast, uh, actually finished slower than he started, uh, which I didn't complain about. But I remember also one time in college, um, which is probably the fittest I've ever been. I went for a mountain bike ride with some guys I had met at a local bike shop. And now I had track and field fitness at the time. And I thought, well, that'll just carry over immediately to cycling. It did not carry over to cycling, at least immediately. And as we rolled out from our car's uh to the trailhead on our bikes. Uh, there was this pile of gravel about up to our thighs. And one of the guys I was riding with, um, kind of takes two hard pedals at the gravel pile, bunny hops over the gravel pile, twists the bike sideways. And it was like he almost paused in midair and winked at me and then put his bike back down. And I thought to myself, this is going to be a really long ride. And it was. Um, they had to wait for me to catch up, me, Division I athlete, wait to ke- for me to catch up so I didn't get lost in the woods like every six minutes. Um, it was, you know, no one was happy about it, myself included. But being served that slice of humble pie was a gift. And as we pray the Lord's Prayer, Jesus wants us to receive this same gift, but not just that gift, much, much more. I want to look at this verse asking two, really, really, I guess looking at it in two main clusters of questions. The first cluster of questions is related to questions we're likely already asking when we come to this passage. And then I want to talk about questions that we might not be asking, but we really should be asking as we come to this passage. So we'll start with this first cluster of questions. There are questions about the language of leading us into temptation, and then there are questions that you might be having about parts of this verse that you've always said and probably have memorized, but don't seem to actually be in the text itself. So let's talk about those. We'll start with this line about leading us not into temptation. There's a question about whether temptation is even the right word to use. In the Greek language, the word for testing and temptation are the same word. It's really only the context that leads translators to know which word to use. But that's not really that hard for us to imagine. Really, there's a lot of overlap between tempting and testing, isn't it there? But some people find it strange. That no matter what word we'd have to use, that we would have to pray for God not to lead us into temptation. In the beloved Psalm 23, we read about the good shepherd leading his sheep by what? By still waters and into paths of righteousness. That's what it says in verse 3. Isn't that the God we know? The one who would lead us to peaceful places? In fact, if you look at a verse from James chapter 1, verse 13, we read something um, along these lines that's helpful to, to have in front of us. So let me read James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. This verse says that at the core of God's character is his inability to tempt people with evil. It's not what he does because it's not who he is. So why pray that God would not do something we know he'll never do? Perhaps you saw the news last summer, the summer of 2019, that the Pope had changed the wording of the Lord's Prayer that was being used in Roman Catholic Church worship services. Now, the change that he proposed, and in fact went into effect, comes precisely from this phrase. The Guardian reported the story in this way. I'll read it to you. Now Pope Francis has risked the wrath of traditionalists by approving a change to the wording of the Lord's Prayer. Instead of saying, lead us not into temptation, it will say, do not let us fall into temptation. It's not a good translation because it speaks of a God who induces temptation. He told Italian TV, I am the one who falls. It's not him pushing me into temptation then to see how I've fallen. A father doesn't do that. A father helps you to get up immediately. It's Satan who leads us into temptation. That's his department. What do you think about that? Is Pope Francis right? He seems to be saying something similar to James chapter 1, verse 13, that God doesn't lead us into temptation. Well, one of my favorite pastors pointed out the upside-down nature of the Pope's logic that drove the word change. The Pope couldn't imagine a good father doing something, so he projected what he thought he knew was true of God based on this language of father. And then that conviction about who he thought God was, he then pressed back into the Bible. In fact, in this case, leading him to change the wording. A better approach, and the Christian approach, points, as pointed out by this pastor, is to take the words of scripture as they come to us, and then to labor to understand what God might be teaching us in the very words that He wrote. I I don't think we need to change the words of the Lord's Prayer to exonerate God. God will allow trials, the Bible would say that he even sends them into our lives. Now, he does that for our good. But just because God will do something for our good, that doesn't mean we need to ask God to send trials into our lives. We're not more spiritual because we pray to God, Lord, send me more trials because I know you'll use them for good. Like There's nowhere in Scripture where we're commanded to do that. In fact, this verse here And several others would suggest that it's right to pray, Lord, if you are willing, take this trial, take this temptation from me. Which sounds a lot like what Jesus prayed in the garden before the cross when he asked that if possible the cross would be removed. Yet nevertheless, his father's will would be done. You see, every biblical prayer that we could ever pray That is a prayer that we believe God would be pleased to answer. Lord, save my friend from his sinful ways. Lord, please allow governmental rulers to rule with wisdom. Lord, please raise up laborers to share your good news with others. Lord, give us our daily bread. Lord, hallowed be your name. Lord, do your will here on earth as you do or as it's done in heaven. All of these prayers are prayed with the conviction that we know God would be delighted to answer them. So why do we pray them? Like why pray prayers that we know God already wants to answer? Should we change all of those passages too? A few weeks ago, I said that better than daily bread, better than receiving daily bread from God, is being in a relationship with him. Being in a relationship with the baker. In praying for God's protection, God grows our relationship with him. It's true that he will never do his children ultimate harm. He may allow things temporarily that are difficult. In fact, even very difficult for us. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't ask him for His help and protection when we feel as fragile as we really are. God wants you and I to know Him, to be in a relationship with Him. That, that's why we pray the prayer the way it's written. Now, the second thing you might be asking about these lines from the Lord's Prayer perhaps have to do with the wording that you've memorized. In fact, we've said here in church ourselves, but we haven't said it once during this sermon series. Here, I'll, I'll be very brief. We have not said, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Why not? Well, It's not because those words, in a sense, are wrong or unbiblical. But the best evidence would suggest that those words come as a late addition to the Bible. In other words, they're not originally part of what Matthew wrote when he wrote his gospel. That's why the version of the Bible that we preach from has a footnote that you know directs you to the bottom of, of, of the, the text, and then that footnote says, some manuscripts add, and then it says the line. But those manuscripts that apparently add that line of, of power and glory and forever and ever amen seem to be later manuscripts when you really study that through. And so likely what happened is that the early church, very early probably, was saying those lines in their church liturgy, meaning they were saying them during church worship services and then somehow they got added back to a copy of scripture and that copy was copied. But many manuscripts, many early manuscripts don't have that line. But it wouldn't be wrong to say it. It's not wrong to pray it. In fact, in a sense, it's a biblical prayer. There's a prayer from the Old Testament that King David has. It actually comes from First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. You can go look it up. First Chronicles 29, verse 11. That sounds almost exactly like the way we say the longer ending to the Lord's Prayer. So with that covered... Those are a few questions that you might have been asking as we come to the Lord's Prayer. But I want to end by highlighting two questions that you might not have been asking, but we should. The first question we should be asking is this. In light of this verse, what kind of people are we? The answer is we are sinful and fragile people. I'll explain I'm not tempted to eat grass or to eat tree bark. Like That's not a struggle I have moment by moment saying, Lord, help me not to eat tr- grass or tree bark. Now, there are some in my family who would say that I don't really struggle with eating too many sweets either. (laughs) Uh, They would probably say, I have no trouble at all eating too many sweets. Um, They might say that actually is the problem. In fact, as I wrote this sermon in the office on Thursday, I actually had several handfuls of sweets and candy. um, Because I don't have a problem doing that. Again, some would say that is the problem. A few months, or I guess about a month ago, I was talking with uh, one of our uh, church attenders who who works at Hershey and had said, uh, you know, the lockdown had affected Hershey candy sales over Easter. However, the additional candy sales that have come from people being at home, being tempted to eat more candy than normal, have sort of made up for that. I don't know if that's actually still true here now in May, but it seemed to be true at the time. Now, what, what do I mean by bringing all of this up? We learn something about ourselves by what tempts us. And when Jesus teaches us to pray to our Heavenly Father that He would lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil, we learn that we are the type of people who can be tempted. The type of people who love sin the way I love candy. We're tempted to sin because we're sinners. In the same way, we pray for protection because we're fragile. Like my story about riding my bike with people who are much better than me. I learned I'm not as good as I think I am. And praying this prayer and thinking about our humanity should cause us to realize we are probably, in fact, actually more sinful and fragile than we think. And that's not often how we view ourselves, is it? Our family has been watching, in fact now we're on the stage of re-watching, a Netflix series called Lost in Space. It's a remake of the original that was uh, from many years ago. And one of the lead characters on that show uh, is so bright and, and so smart. She's this smart astronaut, the mother of in this family, and she always knows the right thing to do at every moment. She's brilliant, really. And at several key moments in the series, however, her flaw is that she overestimates the goodness of humanity, her own goodness and that of other characters. If you put science into an equation, then you get science out. It's just math. But her fatal flaw is she doesn't figure into the equation true human nature. And that, at several turns, almost kills her and others she loves if you watched the movie Interstellar a few years ago spoiler alert here slight spoiler alert uh, another space movie you saw something similar the best and brightest of the human race incidentally who I think was intentionally called Dr. Man for this reason um, actually nearly destroys the human race through his selfish ac- uh, actions he's brilliant and smart but sinful and selfish. We often put astronauts on this pedestal. I mean, what could celebrate um, America's glory more? What would better typify uh, the pinnacle of human perfection than putting a man on the moon before the end of the decade? Now, you might not be an astronaut. To my knowledge at our church, we don't have any astronauts But my guess is you overshoot your own moral goodness too. I see it when we ask for prayer requests. Now, some of you are shy, and others of you perhaps might not trust a person asking for a prayer request. But I will tell you those are not the only reasons you don't give them to us, or give them to anyone. You don't ask because you don't think you need. Many of us rarely pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil because we don't think we need to be, uh, we need to be saved from the things that tempt us. We don't need to be delivered, but we do. Earlier I read from James chapter 1. Let me read that verse again, uh, as well as the verse that comes right after it. This is James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Praying the Lord's Prayer. Reminds us that we have desires that can lead us astray. We are reminded that evil is not just out there somewhere in the evil one. We are reminded that evil is not just out there with those with less education. Or those of another race or ethnicity. Or those with less money. Or those with more money. Or those who work for the government. Evil is in here. What tempts us should teach us about who we are. That many of us would primarily view evil as something mainly out there and not in here is only further demonstration of our evil. Which leads to the last question we should be asking. Given all that we've learned in the Lord's Prayer, what type of God do we have? We have a great God, You see, I mean this last question not so much as a question, but more as a statement of awe and wonder. We have a heavenly Father. He's in heaven, the throne room of the universe. His name is hallowed, and His kingdom is coming. And He loves you. He meets our physical needs, daily bread. He meets our spiritual needs, forgiveness with Him and with other people. He meets our moral needs, leading us not into temptation, but delivering us from evil, the evil that's out there and the evil that's in here. What a heavenly Father! And we can add, what a Savior! Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by, tempted by Satan for 40 days. We read about it just a couple chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 4. And he never wavered, even in the very situations where you and I would have withered. Our failures in temptation show us our need for a Savior And his victories over temptation show us we have a powerful Savior. Church, what type of God do we have? We have a great and strong and powerful God. Let's pray to him now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And help us to forgive those who sin against us. Lord, as you forgive our sins. And Lord, lead us not into temptation. We are fragile and weak and sinful. Lead us not into temptation as we know you delight to do. Help us to be strong as we do your will. Lord, and we pray these things and many more. In Christ's name, amen.